Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host. He is the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today, Mr. James Johnson. And Jay, good to be back here with you. We got a lot of really great feedback from our discussion with Daniel Jeremiah. Again, that was really, really fun. Shouts out to him for doing that. But other than that, Jay, how you been doing the last week? And really excited to talk some more Jaguars. Yeah, man, you're right, man. That was uh, probably arguably our best episode. And we're doing good numbers and probably will hit a high if all goes well in terms of the monthly uh, listens or downloads and what have you. So we appreciate the support. Um, but yeah, I am good. I can't complain. Ready to talk about uh, the training camp phase as the media has been allowed into training camp this week. Um, albeit, you know, me and you have been at a distance, but still, nonetheless, we got some stuff that we could talk about in this podcast uh, concerning training camp and uh, a little bit more. So excited to get going. Yeah, guys, plenty to talk about. We're going to get into some news. It's also a really fun topic that Jay and I have thrown around here over the last few days. So before we get started, we just want to let you know, if you are enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, but also leave us a five-star review as well as any comments. That's one of the best ways you can support the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Along with Apple Podcasts, we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, luminary and tune in so make sure you're subscribing wherever you're listening you can also of course find us at believe.com and at believe podcast you can get at the podcast over on twitter at believe in jags pod you can find myself at phil the filipino f-i-l-i-p-i-n-o and jay you can find at sports grind underscore dawn so with that being said jay we usually take the beginning of the show to jump around the league but we're going to be going a, a step below over to the college game because a couple of big-time conferences have actually decided to cancel their fall seasons. Now, at the time of recording, thus far, we have the Pac-12 and the Big Ten that have canceled their fall sports. So, of course, that is going to affect football, along with a whole host of other athletes. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people forget. You know, it's not just football that's going to be suffering. It's all the other athletes that play different fall sports as well. Um, So, Jay, we're going to get into actually... Uh, a clip here from a couple of uh, people inside the team, specifically Dave Caldwell, as well as Gardner Minshew. But before we do that here, Jay, what was your initial reaction? Because, of course, these are two of the Power Five conferences. As of right now, no one else has announced they're going to be canceling fall sports. But, I mean, what was your initial reaction when, I I think I told you this, this seemed like the first domino to fall, which was the Big Ten, and then we got the Pac-12 news. So what was your initial reaction when we heard about all this stuff? Yeah, well, you know, in the back of a lot of people's minds, we were concerned that this would be the case come this time because, you know, as a country, we haven't handled things well in the beginning part of the pandemic. And, you know, with that comes repercussions, you know, while we did get the NBA back and we got the, um, you know, NASCAR, NHL and uh, we got soccer as well 
major league soccer, should I say, and also uh, the English Premier League as well. But the thing about some of these things that we're seeing in America in terms of sports, you know, the NBA has done a good job with a bubble, so on and so forth. I guess you could say that's kind of a little bit harder to do with college. And, you know, you look at the NFL scenario, you know, that what they're trying to do, that could be harder to do with college as well. And I think the key with those two organizations that I just named is that they have player organizations. And that might be a big case as to, you know, why the college ranks couldn't proceed. Because, you know, we're hearing about some players. Uh, it feels like a majority of the players do want to play, although, you know, it comes with its risk. But at the same time, like I said, you know, you look at these organizations that I just mentioned, most notably the NFL and the NBA, uh, and they have player organizations. And that's just something that the college ranks doesn't have. And I, I think, you know, that is a testament of what they're going through right now for those players that do want to take the field and do want to play. Right. 100%. And one of the players that was, I don't want to say super vocal, but made a little bit of noise was Justin Fields who tweeted out, I think just simply SMH, of course, shake my head, you know, because um, Justin Fields, of course, one of the premier quarterbacks in all of college football. And a lot of people expect him to be either the second, uh, the very latest third quarterback off of the board in this upcoming draft. And speaking of the draft here, that's one of the first clips we do want to play when somebody asked Dave Caldwell how he feels like the, you know, the lack of an upcoming season for certain colleges may affect scouting. So Jay, go ahead and let's play that clip from Dave Caldwell. As far as the scouting goes, uh, I'm anxious to see what ends up, what the resolution of the college season is. And I know some conferences have canceled, um, you know, there's talk of other conferences canceling. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, we've done our homework uh, on a lot of these guys already. So the players with uh, play history and and um, and a lot of video out there, um, we can make good educated decisions on. Uh, it'll probably hurt maybe some of the smaller school players or guys that uh, um, like a Kalevon Chase on who, who missed his uh, sophomore year and came out junior. Maybe you'll see less juniors come out um, and then wait to play, you know, their senior year. So in that quote lies a lot of the problem, right, with this. And you really feel for some of these guys. And we'll get to this Gardner Minshew clip. That's a really good example of it here in just a moment. He mentioned a guy like Caleb on Chase on who didn't necessarily get to play his sophomore year. Joe Burrow has come out and talked about how if last season didn't happen, he may be looking for a job right now, right? Because we didn't really know too much about Joe Burrow. We knew that he didn't do so well at Ohio State, and he had kind of a so-so year at LSU, right? So, I mean, this is, I, I really do feel for, for these kids because, you know, they worked really hard to get to this point, and only so many of them are going to get to, you know, get to live out their dream and play in the NFL. So, uh, you know, how do you think this is going to, affect scouting jay i know that's one of your favorite things to do is, is scout prospects yeah well i think the interesting thing about it is we're going to find out who has the better uh, front offices in the league because that's what it's going to boil down to it's going to boil down to the tape and utilizing the tape that they got off of these prospects uh from last year and the, you know, I guess in some cases the year after. So it that's what's gonna it's going to boil down to is the which of these front offices are truly the kings of scouting. And you know, that's the thing 
as crazy as it sounds, you know, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think we've seen enough out of them in terms of scouting to believe that they could handle a situation like this. And that, that, as crazy as that sounds, I mean, that's granted Dave Caldwell and company are back. But a prime example is, you know, we've heard on multiple occasions, we talked about it on this podcast, how the Jacksonville Jaguars were really high on LaVisca Chenault for his tape in 2018 as opposed to 2019, uh, which is, you know, that's typically with 2019 being his last year in college, that's typically the tape that you would have used, but the Jaguars instead deferred to his tape the year before. And, you know, they kind of harped on him at that time. If you look at the 2018 tape being a first round pick. So that's, that's what it's going to boil down to, in my opinion. Uh, You know, it'll be interesting to see how some of these other front offices handle it. Uh, But, you know, I think we've seen some things and we've heard some things and I don't know. And I'm curious to know if you agree with me on this, that maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars, if their front office returns, can handle a situation where, you know, some of these conferences don't play. And it's only like three or two of the big conferences that do play uh, college football this year. Right. You make a really good point, Jay, because, of course, we've been very critical of Dave Caldwell. And, you know, we did that list um, a few weeks back where we talked about the the top, the top five worst Dave Caldwell era draft picks. And, of course, there were some, you know, disappointing players on that list. But when you look at some of the wins, I mean, I feel like the, the victories outweigh the negatives. I mean, you look at and we're going to get to him here in just a moment. You look at the pro- production they got in, out of Yangakwe. Gardner Minshew may end up being the starting quarterback for years to come. So if that's the case, that's going to be a huge win. Taven Bryan, while not necessarily, maybe he wasn't, he shouldn't have been taken where he was, is starting to show that, hey, he's he, he can be a pretty good player to have as part of this defensive line. So I, I definitely agree with you there. While it may surprise a lot of people, they may be better equipped. And what you're talking about when, with LaVisca Chenault, Jay, uh, Dave Colwell said if, if you look at his 2018 tape and if he came out that year, he probably they feel like he would have been the second or third receiver off the board. That's the kind of talent that we're talking about here. And I mean, uh, uh, us over here, I think I'm believing the Jags Jay, have been have definitely re- really have high ex- expectations for LaVisca Chenault. And and I, I think he's going to be really, really solid. Another guy that has gotten praise, at least uh, from guys like Demetrius. Uh, out there at camp is Josh Oliver. You know, I, I, as my hot take, when we had our buddy Eric on a few weeks ago, I said, I feel like Josh Oliver has the opportunity to lead this team in touchdown catches this year. He's, he's looking pretty good. So I I definitely see where you're coming from. You know, um, it's just, I guess really the, the thing that I'm thinking about the most is some, some of these players that maybe uh, as Dave Caldwell alluded to missed out on last year, or this is their last season coming up, which is why we want to play, this tape for or this clip from Gardner Minshew talking about some guys that you know are are probably pretty upset right now. Yeah, no, I reached out to a couple guys, and I'm probably gonna reach out to a few more just see how they're doing, man. I know, uh, I know the amount of work that they put in. I know how how bad this sucks, especially for those older guys. Um, you know that you know don't know what what the future holds right now. Don't know if they're gonna have their senior year uh, at all. Don't know if they'll get the year back or what. Uh, so really just feeling for those guys. I uh, hope they come to a resolution, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and I just told them to keep their head up. If there's anything I could help them with, um, you know, I'd love to help. And I think you can tell there in his voice, Jay, that he's genuinely 
upset for those guys because Gardner, you know, sixth round pick right there on, uh, you know, towards the towards the end of the draft. He's a guy with the along with, you know, some of these other success stories in the NFL draft that got his opportunity because of what he was able to put together in college. So, you know, what's your uh, I, I guess as a as a former a former athlete yourself, Jay, you know, what kind of advice do you think you would give some of these guys that, you know, are coming away with the, you know, a little bit of uncertainty after all these announcements? Of course, you know, it's the, the, a message that you always preach in, in especially in football, uh, especially, you know, like it, it was times where I saw where my team lost out on playoff spots or it was times where my team has also put teams out of playoff spots. And one of the messages that you get from that that trickulates to every situation in football is always to keep your head up, you know, like, while you know, this could hurt a lot of people's draft stock and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, hopefully in the end, you know, if these front offices like the Jaguars, like we mentioned, uh, do their homework diligently, you know, they can find some of these guys that did miss out on the opportunity uh, this year, you know, and, and you know, hopefully those players that they take uh, make the most of their opportunity. But, yeah, it's just to, you know, that's my advice is to keep their heads up. I, I know like this does have a gloomy outlook for a lot of these guys that, you know, don't have first round talent or first round grades at the moment and really needed this year to up their draft stock. But uh, nonetheless, you know, this is just what will come with how we handled the pandemic. And, you know, I think the key is when we come out of the other side of this pandemic is to make the most of the opportunities that we get afterwards. So, We'll see um, how it goes with these other conferences like the SEC and the ACC and so on and so forth. Uh, but for the guys that are in, you know, like you said, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, man, they, I just, you know, encourage them to keep their head up and, you know, look uh, look towards the positives that will come towards the other end of this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we're all dealing with unprecedented times, right? Not even just in our country, but the entire world. So, uh, you know, definitely echo those sentiments where you say just just keep your head up keep working hard and you know hopefully they'll be uh they'll be rewarded we're still not sure as far as well, at least i haven't seen anything specifically in terms of will they be able to to come back but other people have talked about you know if, if you allow that season to stick around or that player to stick around uh then that creates a little bit of a log jam right in terms of players coming in and then does that affect transfers and all this other stuff so listen guys the the repercussions of what's going on right now are going to be long lasting and we're going to be dealing with the effects for a while so of course we we definitely wish all those players the best of luck and not necessarily you know the guys like justin fields and and people like that if if trevor lawrence probably would have been the second quarterback taken last year right you know this isn't going to affect guys like that but for the people that we're talking about like the the gardner men's shoes of, of the world stuff like that you know you definitely hope that they get their opportunity whenever that comes so one thing i do want to say to phil and add on to that is justin fields could just simply transfer back to georgia if he like and you know play ball with us uh down here in the south if he like you know but then again we already got jamie newman but i mean i'm sure like that would be a hell of a competition and it wouldn't hurt his draft stock. <laughs> hey, I mean, if there are any skill position players that want to transfer to the University of Texas, we are still playing. So, uh, you know, the, the Big 12 as of right now is still playing. Before we get into the next topic, I, I'm just, you know, this does worry me. Of course, we want to see football. We It's our, obviously, 
it's our favorite sport. If you guys haven't been able to tell by listening to this show, but I'm just wondering, you look at the one, one sport you didn't mention, Jay, when we were talking about all the other ones was, I, don't, I didn't hear you talk about MLB, which is just being ravaged right now by coronavirus. I mean, and you know, they are not able to play in a bubble because they've got play teams flying all over the place and look what's happening. That's happened to the Marlins. Now we got the Cardinals dealing with an outbreak. You know what I mean? So I'm just wondering what happens when this eventually, unfortunately does happen to a college football team. And I know this is something that we've kind of, you know, just drilled into the ground over and over again. But what happens when, when that comes along and then it's like I said, it's just going to be something that we, um, we got to figure out as we go and it's, it's not going away anytime soon unfortunately um, but but that being yeah yeah real quick on that too you you bring up an interesting point because i remember um i saw it on my timeline today or it was yesterday or it was recently that i saw on the timeline somebody made an interesting point that kind of uh you know correlates with what you said too in terms of the the coronavirus and stuff some i forgot who it was exactly i'm pretty sure the listeners will remember who it was but Somebody made a good point that like the players, the college players is, you know, like that play football in the fall or sports in the fall in general might be safer basically in a bubble or somewhat of a bubble playing in these college sports because they were obviously there were had there would have to be uh, frequent testing, this, that and the other. But now, like, you know. You, there's no telling what you can get exposed to if you're not in that type of a bubble like setting outside of sports. And I don't know if they're still going to have school or whatnot, but you know, some of these kids may end up having to go home. I don't know. You make a comment on that uh, may have to end up going home where, you know, you could argue that uh, life outside of sports, which you would be in a bubble like setting or a close to a bubble like setting, should I say a uh, life outside of sports might be more dangerous in terms of, contracting COVID and even spreading it uh, than otherwise. Right. Because I think what the NBA has taught us is the bubble is working in that environment. And, you know, of course it's not a full roster of a hundred kids as law, as well as, you know, all the people on the staff and the medical personnel and all that other stuff, the referees and everything like that. It's working fine in the NFL, but I guess the thing is, how does it work with, with a football team? Uh, with multiple football teams, I, I guess, you know, it could definitely work if you're talking about some kind of where they can put all the playoff teams in one area, but they got to play out the season first. And that brings brings up a whole nother question is, you know, if, if the season does go through and does when they crown a national champion, I mean, does that champion even really have validity when we bring up, you know, the asterisk that that's always brought up in sports is because that really a real champion. If we're talking about two major power five conferences that as of right now aren't even playing, you know, it's gosh, but like you said, yeah. uh, You know, them going back and forth to wherever, wherever it is, they, they go, it's definitely going to be present a lot more issues than, you know, being in a bubble situation. But I think just realistically, it's not possible to do with 12 football teams. You know what I'm saying? With all those people. Facts, facts. I agree. Yeah, guys. But that being said, we're going to move on to uh, some interesting news. I guess it says interesting as you want to make it. Now, Dave Caldwell in this clip we're going to hear in, in just a moment was asked about uh, Yannick Ngakwe. And uh, you know what? We're, we're just going to go ahead and play it here, Jay, and then we'll, we'll comment on it. Uh, as far as the Yannick situation goes, I, I think you'd have to talk to him. I, I'm very cautious of speaking for him. Um, I know uh, 
you know, he and I have been in contact the last couple of days, but um, I think that is uh, for him to discuss. And, uh, you know, he's earned the right to, uh, to he's played his contract out and he's earned the right to do what's best for him and, and his family. So uh, I, I'm going to defer any uh, of his future questions to him and um, try to keep our conversations between he and I. So there was something interesting said in there, Jay, when he said, I'm very cautious of speaking for him. That is something said by someone who is trying to tread lightly and tread carefully as to not maybe maybe not upset somebody that he eventually does want to see some sort of reconciliation. Am I am I reading into it that much or did you get that too? So, yeah, you're right. It, it does sound like exactly that's what they're doing is, you know, treading lightly and uh, choosing what they say. But that's, you know, then again, that's been the theme of the Jaguars this year. You know, they've been trying to uh, go about business better. Me and you talk about that often as a front office after the Tom Coughlin era. So they've made a point of emphasis of this long before, you know, this situation where Caldwell basically spoke on Yen. I mean, the time before that, when Caldwell spoke on Yen. You know, he chose his words carefully and he, you know, he treaded lightly on about uh, what he said, albeit he hadn't had contact with Yannick the time before this one and even the time before that and the time before that. So as of this year, you know, again, just to reiterate, you know, just in general, not just Caldwell, but Doug Marone, too, have been kind of careful to not speak for players and have been careful to to go about business the right way as a front office to not kind of step on the players toes. So. Them having contact with uh, Yannick is certainly interesting. And it does, you know, just reading or, or listening to what Dave said there, I could see how it would give fans a little bit of hope that Yannick could come and play. The fact that he reached out to him is is amazing in itself, which and you'll actually talk about this part as well. But it may have had to do with, you know, he's agentless right now um, because he fired Ari Nassim. And, uh, you know, he's going through a waiting period where, you know, he has to find representation. But um, only time will tell or I, I won't even say that, but only, you know, Caldwell and, and Yannick know uh, what actually took place in that conversation. But I would definitely hope that it was uh, more encouraging than it was uh, a beef between the two sides. Right. And as you alluded to there, Jay was reported earlier in the week from Tom Pelissero that Jan had parted ways with his agent now his current or his previous agent now at this point was Ari Nassim, as you mentioned uh, before that, you know, this is going to be a second agent change since joining the league. His first representation uh, was a Washington DC based agent, uh, Adisa Bakari. And uh, he then made the switch to Nassim in May of 2018 as part of Jay-Z's rock nation. Now he has been long since removed from a rock nation's website as a client's which is an indication that Nassim also moved on from the agency. So this is something that we actually talked about a few weeks ago here, Jay, where, you know, I kind of asked you, do you think Jan may be getting just some, some bad advice or some bad information from his representation? So what do you think this means? You kind of talked about it there a little bit, you know, this is a little encouraging, but what do you think this means in the overall grand scheme of things? But also, you know, we talk about a fan base that can be, and, and really this is, all sports fans. And I can definitely admit that I've been and have gotten a little annoyed and irritated with Jan, but also at the same time, understanding that he should have been rewarded a long time ago. So between this, what do you think it means for, for him to be changing representation again, but also 
what do you think it means for, or how do you think the fan base will react? You know, if he does come back and, you know, I guess, will they be able to reconcile? I guess is the question. Well, the NFL has shown, you know, it's a league that, you know, if let's just say hypothetically, he was to come back the moment he gets that first strip sack or that first sack, that first crucial play, people will love him again. That's just how the NFL is. You know, they have that saying that, you know, they they love you when you're playing well. And then sometimes when you're going through contract disputes, they hate you. And that, that's referring to the fans. So I think that would be the case here. You know, if you came back and started to to kill it again and, you know, what a, a big time shot in the arm that would be for the Jaguars having him, uh, Josh Allen and uh Calavon chase on you would definitely have to think some some kind of success would come from that trio in terms of rushing the passer and that being said as a trio i think they would definitely have a lot of success and then that would also you know get the fan base to rally in yan's favor again whatever the case may be i don't know if they would go to the extent of saying you know pay him the uh the contract that he wants which you know by the way on that the figure has gone up significantly because uh, Bosa just signed a contract and it was a uh, a defensive end that's escaping me or a pass rusher that's escaping my mind right now that signed before Bosa that signed for an astronomical number that was kind of more than what, you know, we thought Yan was asking for or it was reported that he wanted. So in terms of the switching representation, it, it's hard to say exactly what it means. It could mean a variety of things. Uh, you know, a lot of fans are at home probably saying that it could mean that uh, he sought, he, he was uh, seeking or he was receiving bad advice. Or, I mean, you know, who's to say, you know, Yan had this all mapped out himself to where he chose the agent. Uh, and Ari said, hey, you know, let's let's shoot for this Demarcus Lawrence-like contract. And, you know, Yan, Yan was like, okay, you know, let's see if we could get that. And maybe Yan had it in his mind if he couldn't get that then maybe he would just move on from the sim and and find better representation. So, you know, it's hard to say exactly what it means. Uh, it could mean that he's frustrated with the process and frustrated with how Ari and the sim handled it, uh, you know, but only, you know, that that's I guess that's something that only he knows. And maybe the Jaguars front office knows. And again, it seems like we're definitely not going to get that answer from Dave Caldwell. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, their team is certainly going to, I think, do whatever they can, as you mentioned, to just correct that image that Tom Coughlin had created and the image that is now out there amongst former players when you hear Calais Campbell and and Calais hasn't necessarily said anything uh, bad about it, but he's talked about, you know, just kind of the dysfunction within the locker room. But you have A.J. Boye out, and then Jalen has said the things that he said, Dante Fowler, Allen Robinson, you know, all these guys that are really, really good players at their, you know, at their respective positions saying these things about the team, you know, definitely not, not good. So you got to hope that you can inject some new life into the locker room with guys like DJ Chark, with guys like Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew, then you, you hope that you build a culture here and in which players want to want to come. And I think that is kind of representative of them getting Joe Schobert. I, I think that that's a big deal, you know, for him to, to be around here and, and, and want to play here in Jacksonville for sure. So, of course, as always, we'll continue to monitor that situation. So make sure you're following both Jay and I over on Twitter, as well as the Jaguars wire. And as soon as we hear something, we will definitely let you guys know. But last but not least here, Jay, let's get into the primary topic. Now, 
Uh, Hard Knocks has just started back up again. Of course, this is featuring the Los Angeles teams, the Rams and the Chargers. I mean, I guess you can call the Chargers a Los Angeles team. I don't think they really <laughs> necessarily have a home. But we have, of course, our old buddy Jalen uh, that's over there. Now, Jay, I told you this earlier. You know, I admittedly, I, I think I'm in the minority of football fans. I, I don't really watch Hard Knocks. I've never really gotten into it. I definitely understand the appeal. And I think it's something that I definitely would love if I just sat down and watched it. But it's never something that I've really delved into. So we have a couple of things that we jotted down, Jay, that we think would make the Jaguars a, a great to topic as far as hard knocks goes. Now, what first and foremost at the forefront is is going to have to be Minshew, right? Of course, everybody wants to know about the stash. He's, you know, he, he went on that that tour across the country in the RV. He's been in a ton of commercials. He did that. ESPN thing uh, with um, uh, Uncle Uncle Rico, and that, that was great. So, of course, front and center is going to be the quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Yeah, of course. You know, like when, when you look at what HBO does, and by the way, Phil, uh, if you want to check out Hard Knocks, go right ahead to HBO Max. They have trials going for seven days, by the way, if you want to check out the first episode. So, uh, feel free to check that out. Like you can get to see it for free, basically. Perfect. I've got like 16 email accounts. So that, that, that's good for at least a year. Right, right. There you go. So uh, in terms of uh, Minshew, yeah, like when you look at what probably goes into the selection process of these teams, you know, one of the allures would have to be having a face of the franchise kind of like Gardner Minshew. Now, he's not the face of the franchise in terms of being a franchise quarterback yet. That's to be determined. But in terms of uh, having the face for TV and the allure for TV and the, you know, just uh, the gravitational pull of fans in terms of people that will want to watch him and so on and so forth, Gardner Minshew has all of that. And I think the key with Gardner, too, is not that he's appealing to Jacksonville Jaguars fans and casual NFL fans, but he's also a figure that we found out last year is appealing to the college ranks as well. And it more specifically, he's appealing to those on the West Coast uh, that watched the Pac-12 last year and that know of him. So that's a big draw in terms of, you know, all of the people that you can bring into the equation in terms of viewership. He would bring in a big draw uh, just nationwide, I think, at least um, in, in terms of viewership. So, yeah, like Gardner Minshew is almost, you know, the perfect quarterback for, uh, you know, to draw in an HBO Hard Knocks production crew to want to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars or choose them, should I say, for uh, for their program. But again, the only I guess the only thing that's a question mark with him, which wouldn't affect viewership, is is he a franchise quarterback? People want to find that out. So they'll be pouring in. Uh, to watch this, which evidently I forgot the numbers on it, but yeah, uh, the the first episode of Hard Knocks this week didn't do so good, and uh, you know that's something that uh, pe people have been uh, wondering about why and whatnot. I think it's just because it has been advertised well, but I think you know that wouldn't be an issue uh, with Gardner Minshew as I guess you could say probably the number one star of the show. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but who do you want to watch? You want to watch Gardner Minshew, you know, sling the football around, or do you want to watch uh, Jared Goff and Justin Herbert, you know, put you to sleep? I mean, like I said, maybe I'm being uh, a little biased, but uh, <laughs> I think I would definitely. <laughs> <Good> point. <laughs> I actually forgot to mention that, too, because, you know, like the, the whole process, I watched the first episode. Jared Goff was not all that interesting. You know what I'm saying? And Justin Herbert 
wasn't either. But I think the draw with Justin Herbert is that he's a rookie uh, that's coming from Oregon University and so on and so forth. He's the first round pick guy. He just has this this draw about him in terms of what does the future hold? Will he win the starting job? So, you know, even if he's not that entertaining, people are going to watch uh, to watch that quarterback competition, if you will, between him and Tyrod Taylor. But yeah, Jared Goff was not all that interesting to me. Like I would, yeah, like if you would ask, and like this is a non-biased opinion, if you would ask a majority of America who would they rather watch in a documentary uh, for a month in terms of the NFL between Minshew and golf, you make a very good point. Uh, so far, Gardner Minshew wins that by by a mile uh, because Jerry Goff just hasn't like really been the draw of uh, this year's hard knocks, albeit it was a very good episode and one of the more entertaining episodes I have seen. I certainly wasn't like all that drawn in because of Jared Goff. Yeah, of course, you definitely have the appeal of a guy like a, a Jalen Ramsey, you would think. Right. But and again, maybe this is because we pay a lot of attention to it. I feel and you and I have talked about this, Jay. I think Jalen's aura has taken a big hit because of how he dealt with last year. And also that Marcus Peters incident, I think, really exposed Jalen right and you know god forbid he ever hears this he'll have a lot to say I'm sure but <laughs> I don't think he ever will but you know I think that kind of softened his aura a little bit you know what do you what do you think am I on to something there yeah I think what that was a case of is in this league and this is the best way I could explain it in this league you have some players who are about it on the field, which should be all of them because they get paid millions of dollars. And not only that, you know, they train and prepare uh, and put all of this time and effort to be uh, ready for every moment on the field, basically. And basically, this is the game they played all their life. So they all should be about it on the field. But then you also have players who are about it on and off the field as well or on the field and when. Uh, or, or after the whistle blows and the clock hits zero zero, they're still about it. And that is basically Marcus Peters, as we saw in the pregame, uh, you know, the pregame interaction between him and Jalen in that game. Now, speaking of Jalen Ramsey, he was a key part, of course, of this or the first episode. And it was very interesting because basically, you know, the nation got to see it on a, on a national level. Basically some of the things that the local media had to see or could see firsthand when Jalen Ramsey was here uh, in terms of, you know, him not seeing eye to eye with the media, they were asking him about his contract situation basically. And he, uh, you know, he, he addressed it at first uh, so on and so forth and then kind of grown. He, he grew agitated with them as they kept to dig or they continued to dig and so on and so forth. Uh, but, you know, that's what the media does, basically. Uh, when you answer a question, they dig and dig and dig and dig for more. And Jalen Ramsey has never been a guy that's like that and so on and so forth. And basically, he stormed out in the virtual presser meeting because of that, because they kept asking about his contract and so on and so forth. So I found that interesting that, uh, you know, that beef between Ramsey and the media, uh, I found it interesting that the nation gets to see it now on a national level because it didn't really get that much exposure when he was in Jacksonville. Albeit, you know, of course, the locals, you know, got to see that interaction between the two sides. But now, like I said, uh, Hard Knocks being the uh, smart production crew that they are and, and good at, you know, HBO being good at making storylines. 
now they're getting this for the nation to see. And basically, uh, this will probably be going forward, maybe one of the top storylines of Hard Knocks, if you will. Don't be surprised to see, you know, that dislike of Jalen Ramsey towards the media show up again because, you know, it's what makes good TV for one. And for two, you know, HBO is just kind of good at making these kind of storylines. So I found that kind of interesting about the first episode. Right. And Jay, I don't even know if you know this or not, but today is the two year anniversary of that. It's either today or yesterday of that incident uh, with the uh, the Dante Fowler and Yannick Ngakwe fight where he was, you know, yelling at reporters to turn the video off. He's telling people to stop doing their job at their job you know what I'm saying? so that's a whole other thing we're not going to get into that we're not going to open that can of beans well, you know, we, we talked about that on the last jack uh on the jack yeah and last year you know we were like you know well you know my 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 statement was like look dude you don't pay the cell phone bills so like how could you know you know and you don't pay their bills at home like they gotta that's what they do for a living you know but you know that's that's Jalen, man for you <laughs> Yeah, like, we'll leave it at that because, of course, that's a whole nother can of worms that we could open up. But moving on to some other uh, some other interesting things that I think would would make us a really, really good watch. And and this would only be elevated if if Jan comes around. I mean, think about what would happen on Hard Knocks right now if they had a presser and Dave Caldwell was like, oh, yeah, I talked to Jan Ngakwe the other day. You know what I mean? That would be huge. And along with talking about Josh Allen and his relationship with Caleb Von Chason, I think is going to be fascinating to watch. You've already talked, uh, or Caleb Von has already mentioned he's looking up to Josh as kind of like a, a big brother, a mentor figure, you know, just as Calais was for Josh Allen. So talk a little bit about that and how that would be a really good story to follow. Yeah, that would be perfect because, you know, and I put that in the script because in the past and on Hard Knocks episodes, we have seen contract disputes. And the interesting thing about that is the Jaguars would be perfect for this situation because that would also give fans the opportunity to follow Yannick and Gakwe. Typically, what the production crew does is they also will interview or go to the other players, you know, the player that is in the contract disputes house and kind of monitor their perspective of it as well as the front offices as well. So, you know, we would more we would know more from Yan uh, as Jags fans. Uh, and, and as Jags media members about Yan's situation and how he feels about this, because, you know, they would try at least. I don't know if he would give them the consent to do so, but, you know, and maybe he would, too. You know, maybe it's parts of his, you know, aside to this uh, on his end that's not getting out to the media that he wants to get out there, you know, and that would present the opportunity for it. And it would, you know, it would give him the opportunity to shed some light on firing Ari Nassim. You know, and, and so forth, so on and so forth. So, like, really, like that alone is, you know, while the, you know, of course, the Rams are a better team than the Jacksonville Jaguars, and and so are the Chargers. That alone would have made uh, the Jaguars, and in, the, in addition to Minshew, more interesting. And this is not even my biased opinion. More interesting than watching the Rams and Chargers in this situation. Now, in terms of Caleb Von Chason's relationship with Josh Allen, that would be a joy to watch as well. Because here you have these two young men, you know, Josh Allen is just one year in the league. It's not like this dude is a, you know, a seasoned veteran or anything like that. That's taking a rookie under his wing in just his second year of being in football. So, you know, that would be a very interesting uh, situation because, like you said, their relationship, you could tell they really are close friends. 
Um, the, you could argue, you know, like just based off of what we've seen and have heard, they might be like best buddies on the team in, in terms of, you know, if you made the two say like, who, who's your best friend on the team? They might probably choose each other just based off of what we've seen. So uh, that, that would be dope in itself to watch that unfold as well as just Josh Allen's development in a second year or in his second year. Because as I said in the predictions post, I think he's going to take a huge step. And this, you know, hard knocks would give us an opportunity to watch the progress that he's making as a second year player. Right. All of that, you know, in, of a, in and of itself would be just just great. And I think Josh Allen has and should already be, I mean, kind of on a superstar track. Right. He's got that potential. He's a guy that, you know, fell to us and maybe feels a little bit overlooked because based off of his play, you could definitely have made the argument he should have been taken before the spot that he he went at and we were just amazed that he was still available and then of course like you said with that relationship that they're building between him and Caleb Vaughn would be would be really really great uh, moving on to the next point here this is something you notated Jay is that Hard Knocks loves to point out some of these undrafted guys and of course the Jaguars have 18 on their team and and some of them that are making some really really big waves you know we've actually talked about a couple of them over the last week. So talk about that a little bit. And, and who do you think would be kind of like a breakout star, I guess, uh, as far as the undrafted guys? Yeah, well, we'll, they, we'll say they had 18 when, when the draft was over. They had 18, at least, you know, of course, since injuries have happened and shuffles have been made and uh, veterans have been brought in and this, that and the other. But yeah, like they love to follow these undrafted guys or these guys that have been on practice squad more than uh, once or twice and are fighting to finally make the main roster. And the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, exemplify that, man. Like, when you look at teams around the league, you know, if you can point to a team that it's probably a guarantee that at least two to three undrafted free agents are going to make the team is the Jacksonville Jaguars because they have been known to do so. And they've been known to get good free agents, too, undrafted free agents as well and, and turned them into very good players. Keelan Cole was one, albeit, you know, he's kind of disappeared over time. That's just because they have a lot of depth at receiver. Um, it, it's been others in the past. Alan Hearns is another case of um, of that. So, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars would provide a good storyline from that perspective. You know, like we have already uh, mentioned guys, like you said, Phil, uh, Luck Barku, the cornerback from uh, San Diego State is one that we've mentioned. It'll be interesting to follow him. Uh, it'll be interesting to follow most notably James Robinson, who, you know, we got the story on last week from Daniel Jeremiah and that article did pretty good, by the way, in addition to the podcast, like that was an interesting story in itself, you know, and, and getting to follow him after that story as an undrafted guy behind guys like Leonard Fournette and, you know, a veteran like Chris Thompson, uh, would be an interesting story in itself. And, you know, it's some it's some other guys uh, that Nate Evans, by the way, from UCF making waves. You know, he's a guy that, you know, me and you have spoken on on Twitter with John Shipley. The Jaguars keep mentioning him. That young man could very well from how it sounds like he's in the early stages of maybe making the team uh, or at least making practice squad and being a protected practice squad player. He's in the early stages of that right now. If he can continue to do uh, or, or he can continue to impress as he has. Yeah, I know I, for one, would definitely love to follow all of that. I mean, like you said, the Jags have definitely been exemplary when it comes to finding these gems. You know what I mean? You mentioned Keelan Cole and some other guys there. That would definitely be something that would be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, moving on here, uh, we, we talked a, a little bit about them, but they have some really 
really interesting rookies to watch, right? Between, of course, C.J. Henderson and Caleb Vaughn. But then you talk about guys like LaVisca and Shaq Quarterman. Shaq Quarterman is a built-in story, Jay, with him being from Jacksonville. So, you know, of course, talk a little bit about that. But also, who would you be most excited to see in terms of uh, getting a little bit of a inside scoop from uh, one of these rookies? Yeah, uh, in terms of the getting the inside scoop on these rookies, yeah, you said it, man. Like Shaq Quarterman, you, you want to see his story, you know, being from Orange Park and and going to Oak Leaf, if I'm not mistaken, it was Oak Leaf High School that he went to. And, uh, you know, like just kind of, of course, they would use that. They would relive the moment he was drafted from his house and he was talking to them and whatnot. So I think like, you know, just having that that guy that's from Jacksonville to root for would only not a, not only draw in uh, Jacksonvillians and, and local people and fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but people of Florida. It would draw in people around the nation because, you know, I, I guess like it is kind of getting out there that this is a like you said, a uh, a local kid that is fighting to make the roster. And I mean, it looks like he's going to make the roster. There's no fighting in it. He, he should make the roster if all goes well in terms of his health. So uh, he's a guy that, you know, it'll be interesting to watch on the field. And, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier, him learning from Joe Schobert, you know, would be an interesting take or. Uh, some interesting watch him interacting with Miles Jack and learning from him as well. Now, in terms of the other rookies, like you said, CJ Henderson, he's also from the state of Florida. Uh, we all know how the Jaguars like to take players not only from the University of Florida, but they also like to take players from the state of Florida as well. And, uh, you know, he has some ties from that perspective, albeit he's a little bit of a quiet person, but it won't be the first time they've had somebody quiet on for on hard knocks or kind of featured that person. Uh, and like you said, LaVisca, uh, you know, he's got the YouTube channel already, you know, and he's a uh, he's a good follow on social media uh, because, you know, he's a guy that kind of documents his process of um, of practicing, you know, and working out and, and you know, just kind of shows people. Uh, the other side of his life when he's not on the football field as well. I know he had the YouTube video where he showed off uh, his new house as well. So him and, and Colin Johnson, who's your guy as well, he recently proposed to his girlfriend. They could follow uh, that storyline outside of football as well. And just in general, man, just looking at this draft class, man, Daniel Thomas, the list goes on. They got 12 guys, Daniel Thomas. Uh, so on and so forth. You know, even Jake Luton makes a interesting story in terms of uh, being the designated practice squad guy that, you know, of course, everybody knows he's not going to probably make the team. But that's a lot of what Hard Knocks is about is following these guys that also don't make the team. Uh, they kind of build up that hope for those guys making the team. And he's a guy that, you know, again, like he'll probably end up sticking on practice squad because of the pandemic conditions and what they've brought about. So, so many layers to that with the, the rookie class that the that hard knocks could have built off of and again man like now the more i talk about it it makes me kind of angry that they didn't choose the jaguars over a team like uh the chargers and the rams yeah and i can't remember what the qualifications were did that were the jags even eligible I, I can't remember i think one of the key qualifications is that you can't have a um first year head coach so, you know, I think they were eligible. They didn't really have any changes that would have eliminated them. Uh, but had, you know, they moved on from Doug Marone or maybe even, you know, moved on from a new GM. 
Uh, I think like those are some of the qualifications that knock you off. But I do think the Jaguars were eligible uh, when I looked at the list earlier in the year in terms of the whole list of eligibility, uh, the teams that had eligibility. But again, you know, like I think like what it boiled down to is the hard knocks felt like or the production team felt like doing a double feature would be interesting because I think this is the first time they have featured two teams. And with them being in Los Angeles, that kind of made it easier to be able to make that happen. So I guess they they wanted to try something new because, you know, this is a show that's been going on since like the early 2000s. Right. It definitely would have. I mean, obviously, I would have what would have watched this season if the Jags were involved. But uh, again, just for whatever reason, never got around to it. But I think uh, I'll definitely try and take advantage of at least that that trial because i mean i'm paying for so many streaming sites already i I can't keep adding streaming sites to my (laughs) to my bills jay i just can't do it but that being said the very last thing we want to talk about here is you know the defense specifically but when you look at a guy like avery jones he seems like he's pretty much ready made for a show like hard knocks talk about that why do you think that he would be a huge draw on the show yeah, it's funny you mentioned him because I just literally posted before this podcast uh, an article about him and what he said about being the Jaguars' longest tenured veteran and now becoming the leader of the defensive line. So he's, you know, he's an interesting story because Avery came into the league first and foremost in 2013 as an undrafted rookie and has stuck since. And that's why he's the longest tenured veteran. What that's eight years or will be eight years that he's been with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, he's a story that kind of goes back to reflect to what we were saying before about them liking undrafted free agents, right? Is, you know, Avery Jones, albeit a veteran, he's a guy that comes from that makeup. He was an undrafted guy, had to work his way up in the league. And now, you know, with all of the moves that the Jacksonville Jaguars have made, you know, they can, Hard Knocks could definitely make some of this too. Calais Campbell has gone on or was traded to, the uh, Baltimore Ravens, as you mentioned earlier, and, and Marcel Darius no longer with the team. Uh, Avery Jones now, and I don't even want to say by default, is the leader of the locker room. He's always been a leader for that defensive line and for the locker room. But now he really is, I mean, to like to the T now. He's, he's the guy. He's the oldest guy in that room at 28 years of age. Al Woods is another story uh, that came about this year with him wanting to opt out out of concerns for the coronavirus, which you can understand. He was the oldest player on the team at 33 years of age. And now with him going, Avery Jones is now the oldest player on the defensive line. So he's that senior figure that all of the young guys are going to look up to, especially the undrafted guys. Uh, but, you know, he's he's a guy that is going to have to basically uh, group up and, and rile up this group that consists of a young Devon Hamilton who's going to have to learn from Avery and probably even battle him for a starting spot, maybe, uh, because the reviews on Devon have been good so far, albeit, you know, uh, they're just now in the ramp-up period, and, you know, it's plenty of time to go before the season starts. But uh, following that situation, him mentoring Avery, kind of like, you know, Josh Allen mentoring Caleb Vaughn, him mentoring Taven Bryant, who we've mentioned earlier, an ascending player, who's getting better and better by the year. Him mentoring Dewan Smoot, who plays some time in the interior just as well as the exterior as well, and somebody who is on the contract year. It's all of these people that are connected to Avery Jones on that defensive line in some capacity 
uh, to where he would be probably the central figure that they could follow on Hard Knocks. And he's a he's just an interesting dude in general in terms of like you know with the interviews and and so on and so forth. You know he he's a guy that's um that you can that's easily approachable. You know he's not a guy that like really is. I mean in in, time, in terms of size he's a little intimidating, but he's a nice dude. It seems. Uh, and, and, you know, that would be a guy that I could definitely see the production crew kind of um, gravitating towards right off the bat. Yeah. And that would and it would also give an opportunity to bring a guy to the forefront like Avery, who people, of course, you know, outside of the fandom probably don't know about. I think that's one of my favorite things about Hard Knocks is it makes these guys household names that wouldn't uh, wouldn't otherwise be right. And unless you were part of the fandom. And I, I think a lot of fan bases can uh, agree with that or feel that way where they have a favorite player. Like I've been a huge, you know, Keelan Cole fan for a long time. And, you know, he's probably gotten a little bit more recognition, you know, because of some of the great plays that he's made specifically. I'm talking about that Patriots catch, but you know, guys like that, where they get that opportunity to shine and, and bring their, um, uh, bring their personalities to the forefront, I think is just, it benefits everybody, you know, and, and I, I'm definitely disappointed because it seems like this team specifically has a really, really good group of players that would have been perfectly made for this show. Um, but that being said, Jay, I mean, that's, that's it for uh, as far as all the primary topics we wanted to get to. There is one more thing I wanted to bring up that I meant to bring up in the beginning. And uh, that's something, some news that broke earlier today, or I mean, earlier in the week. And Jay, we'll talk about this and then we'll get out of here. I was talking about the Jaguars expecting to sign former Eagles defensive tackle Timmy Jernigan. And I, that would be a big get, right? So before we get out of here, you know, talk about that. I can't, I think it was Mike Garofolo, correct? Who, who uh, broke that news? What, or, um, not Gar- I'm sorry, it was uh, Ian Rappaport. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, talk about that and what a big deal that would be to bring that kind of, you know, veteran leadership into the locker room. No, you were right. It was Garofolo who uh, was the one that said that he's uh, likely to sign with us. But Ian Rappaport brought up that it was viewed on the transition or the transaction wire that he had visited the Jags. And Garofolo took it from there and saying, yeah, he actually is probably going to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, so I guess, you know, for the fans sake, fingers crossed on that. But yeah, Timmy Jernigan, man, I mean, it makes a lot of sense from the perspective. I'm actually doing a hometown heroes. Well, it's done a hometown heroes post that basically you compile the Jacksonville Jaguars team of of talent from around this area. And Timmy Jernigan is one of the guys that popped up because he's from, uh, you know, uh, Lake City, which is just 70 miles away from Jacksonville. For those of you who don't know the map of Florida, uh, but he played for Columbia High. He also played, if I can recall, with uh, Laramie Tonsil as well. So just think about being in high school, having to deal with those two together. But that's another story for another time. Uh, but he's a local guy, essentially. I mean, like he's just, you know, guess you could say what it, I guess Lake City's like one county over or maybe two counties over. So he's essentially a local guy, went to Florida State, became a BCS champion. So, you know, he's a guy that people of Florida are well aware of. Um, got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. They eventually traded him to the Eagles. Now, the catch with Jernigan and the reason why he's unsigned and the talent like him is unsigned right now at the moment is because of his injury history. You know, that's kind of been the story of his career as a second round pick. He hasn't lived up to his potential because of injuries. But when he has been on the field, he's been able to do some phenomenal things. And he's a guy that Mike K, our buddy, up north that covers the Eagles. I think he covers the Eagles for NewJersey.com. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he does cover the Eagles. He's a beat writer for the Eagles. 
Mike K put it that basically this is a guy that can play all over the defensive line from zero to five technique, and he can really help them against the run. Uh, but again, the catches, you know, you kind of got to look at this like Tyler Eifert, if you will. I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Uh, you know, they'll probably give him a uh, a low end contract, kind of, sort of, but one that could reward him based on availability and one that could, you know, pay off for the team if Timmy Jernigan uh, actually sees the field for a significant amount of snaps or, or what have you. So, yeah, it's an exciting move, to be honest with you, because the Jaguars are lower on numbers at the defensive line. Currently, they'll get up there eventually when everybody clears, like, the protocols for, you know, the free agents they got, basically. They have to clear protocols to be able to be on the field with everybody else because of COVID. But once those guys that we picked up in free agency clear, uh, they'll be on the field and the numbers will go back up. But Timmy Jernigan is a guy to watch out for as he can also, speaking of Avery Jones, he can also come into that that locker room and help lead that young group of uh, players, which is probably the big draw that the Jaguars want from him. Right. So again, guys, make sure you stay tuned in with the Jaguars wire as well as us over on Twitter. So that's it for this week's episode. You guys, we're going to have a training camp uh, kind of recap preview coming up here very, very shortly, along with some other things. So, Jay, before we get out of here, you know, what else is going on over on the site as well as with the podcast that they can look forward to? And then, like I said, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, you pretty much hit it, man. We'll do a training camp recap and we'll probably try and reach out to somebody uh, who's had the opportunity to go on the field and check the guys out. Um, let, we'll, we'll see what we could do there. No, I don't want to make no promises, but um, it, it would be good to hear some of their perspective as well. But um, yeah, so yeah, we'll continue that on the Jaguars wire. In terms of that, what we'll be doing is uh, basically uh, moving on or getting everybody prepared for the padded part of training camp the pads go on uh monday if i'm i can recall correctly and i'll probably do a stock report some point in the weekend of how the jaguars came away or what jaguars came away uh impressing you know a stock report and and some that may have their stock down which is kind of hard to do but i'll do a stock up and stop down of the players in terms of who impressed and who didn't in the ramp up period to the best of my ability of course and uh, then, you know, beside that, we'll just uh, progress into the next week and uh, continue to monitor the Jags as we have. And, uh, you know, keep that content coming from you all on Twitter, on the Jaguars Wire and on the Believe in Jazz podcast. That's right, guys. Again, make sure you follow us over on Twitter. I'm at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Don. And then you can tweet the podcast at Believe in Jags pod. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Drop that five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. We would really, really appreciate it. Of course, you can find us on Believe.com as part of the awesome Believe Podcast Library. We really, really appreciate you wherever you guys are. We hope that you're safe. We hope that you are healthy. And we will see you next time. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.